Well, friends, let's have a word of prayer, then we'll do a little bit of housekeeping, talking, and then we'll dive into the book of Genesis, shall we? Let's pray. Almighty God, in whom we live and move and have our being, we praise you, we glorify you, we lift you up, we thank you, we give you our attention now, in this moment and in the moments ahead because we have gathered together for the sake of your love, your truth, for the sake of the life that we find in you, for the sake of the friendship and love and fellowship that we find in each other, for the sake of continuing one more day along that journey of following Jesus into abundant and eternal life. We ask that you would be with us, Lord, knowing that you always are, but we want to remember that you are here now, and we want to invite you into our hearts, our minds, our souls, into everything in our lives, because without you there is no life. We want to invite you to teach us your truth, to share with us your wisdom, to inspire us with the presence of your Spirit, to correct us, to turn us around when we are going the wrong way, to encourage us when we're going the right way, to uphold us when the way ahead seems to be dangerous or fearful or simply unknown. We ask you to be with us because we know that in you, especially in the message and life and words of your Son, you have given us all we need to glorify you and to live into the image that you created into us at the very beginning. We pray these things then in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have been glued to the television like I have, watching all the stuff going on in the UK, right? Right? It makes me feel so completely inadequate when I dress up in the very best that I have. <laughs> It's just nowhere close, you know? <laughs> it's nowhere close. We could talk a lot about that, but of course, uh, our hearts and minds are with a, a family that's lost a mother, uh, and a lot of folks that have lost a mother figure, a grandmother figure, if you will. Um, so we'll pray for, for all of those good folks. Of course, we are continuing to pray for uh, people in Ukraine, uh, people in Russia, people all over the world that are suffering. We won't spend a lot of time on that today because we're here to study the Bible. And we're actually here to do way more than that. I think it's always helpful at the beginning of a season, the beginning of a new year, to remember why we're here. And as I look over at the table full of goodies, that reminds me why we're here. <laughs> here, here. <laughs> so we are here to be fed. We are here to be nourished. We're here to be strengthened. But let's think a little bit about what Bible study is. This is one of the primary disciplines of Christian life and of faithful life. A discipline is something that we choose to do so that God can do something with us. Now, God can do whatever God wants to do. Sometimes He does things with us that we didn't ask for, things that we didn't know we needed. But other times, God is waiting to hear from us just what we're interested in. 
And so when we come before God and read the scriptures and think about the scriptures and talk about the scriptures and help each other learn the scriptures, we are doing something that the people of God have been doing for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, going all the way back to the time when Charlton Heston came down the mountain with the two tablets of stone. Moses, God gave his word. And ever since, we have been studying his word. It's not just studying words on a stone tablet or words on a parchment or words on a page, but learning from God himself the truth. Not just concepts, not just ideas, not just theological affirmations, not just facts and figures about when such and such happened, but getting to know God himself. That's what we're doing in Bible study. And so that's a big thing. You could argue that this is one of the biggest things you'll ever do. This seemingly innocuous little gathering of some good friends with some goodies at the table and chatting a bit about the scriptures. So this is something that you have chosen to do. And of course, God encourages us to do that all the time, to open ourselves to his word. Now, theologically speaking, we say that the scriptures are God speaking to us. That's another huge concept. If, I, if my cell phone rang, I hope I put it on silent. If my cell phone rang and I picked it up and it said, Hi God, oh yes, you want to talk to Ruth? Here she is. Ruth would pay attention. Or she'd call the paramedics and say, You need to come pick Jack up, right? <laughs> right? Theologically speaking, the scriptures are God speaking to us. And when God speaks to us, God means for us to listen. And God speaks because he has a word for us that's important for our lives. It's a word, as I mentioned in the prayer, that might correct us, that might encourage us, that might uh, lead us to go do something that we need to do or not do something that we need not to do. All of those things. Bible study, therefore... Bible study is meant to change your life. If you're not here to have your life changed, if you're not here to learn all of those things and to move into that life even more so, take another step of following Jesus. If you're not here for that reason, think about the reasons that you are here because that is the primary reason that all of us are here. So as we look at scriptures, let's remember just a few principles. We need to remember that every individual portion of scripture needs to be understood within the light of the rest of scripture. It's very easy to find a snippet from the Bible somewhere that says what you want it to say so that you can use it as a weapon <laughs> or as an excuse, right? We're, we're going to look at the whole Bible. We've been doing that. This is now, I think, uh, the well, let's see. Did I? Yeah, I did start teaching that first. So we are entering into the 25th year of my standing before you here to teach. And of course, this Bible study was going on long before that. We are here so that we can let the text speak for itself and let this text speak to us. We are here because we want to get away from creating our own truth and learning instead the truth of God. And we're here with each other. That's also hugely important. That's another discipline, actually. Something else that God offers to us, that God commands from us, actually, that is to be with other people. 
as we study the scriptures. Now, oftentimes we do that alone, right? Yes, you go into your room, you open up the Bible, and you read and you think and you pray. That's vital, that is absolutely necessary. Also, equally absolutely necessary, is to study the scriptures with other people because they might have something to say to you about how you need to understand the Bible. And you might have something to say to others, right? Your job might be to impart wisdom or encouragement today to someone who's here. Your job might be to ask a question that's completely off the wall that someone else really wanted to ask, but they were too afraid to step out and do that, right? So we're here with each other, absolutely vital. We benefit from the wisdom of other people. We are here to dwell long, to dwell deep with the texts of Scripture. How many of you have read Genesis before? Great. There may be someone here who has never read Genesis. That's great that you're here. And in fact, you have an advantage over all the rest of us if you've never read Genesis because you're going to look at it with eyes that are wide open, eyes that have not yet already decided that they have seen everything there is to see. That's one of the problems of studying scripture, especially when you've been studying for a long time, as you read a passage like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you say, okay, I've read that part. I know that. Let's move on to something else. That's the way we are. You know, when you read a, an Agatha Christie mystery novel, you know who did it. You don't need to read the book again, right? And we know the way the story ends up in the Bible. And a lot of people think, I read the Bible once, or I studied it once, or somebody told me what it said once, I'm done. That's not the way it is. If the Bible is, as we say it is, the wisdom and truth of God about everything, <laughs> especially the things that we need to know about the most, how can we ever completely learn? How can we ever completely understand? We cannot. And so Bible study is a lifelong process. And we are going to dwell deeply we're going to dwell for a long time with these texts. Have any of you ever tried this exercise, taking maybe one sentence of Scripture or one small section of Scripture and reading it over and over and over again for an hour? Have you ever done that? Or a day? Try it. Try it. You'll be amazed at the things you will begin to absorb and learn and understand as you let God penetrate deeply into your soul and into your mind by dwelling with his word. So I could go on for a lot longer about why it is that we study the scripture. You all have your own reasons. You might want to think about that a little bit though as you, as you go into the study uh, this year. Let's talk for a moment about Genesis itself, the book of Genesis. What does the word Genesis mean? The beginning, right? The beginning. This is the beginning book of the Bible that's going to teach us about the beginning of everything. Now, we are looking at the beginning, and the beginning is important. How you start, from where you start, what went into the start, all of that is critical for determining what the rest of the story is going to be, isn't it? I would argue that in many ways, Genesis is the most important book in the Bible. You can argue for others. 
And those are good arguments as well. But let's understand that, that the, the fundamental theological affirmations, the truths that are revealed to us in Genesis, inform the rest of the story of the scripture. And in, frankly, uh, we would say this from a faith perspective, they inform everything we think about everything. So what is excluded from everything? Nothing. Everything we think about everything is informed by Genesis. In fact, in some sense, it is determined by Genesis. It is likely that the book of Genesis, when we talk about the book, the words written on a page, so to speak, it's likely that the book was compiled and pulled together and first, in a sense, written down by Moses. That's the tradition. As the Hebrew slaves were wandering around in the wilderness after having spent 400 years uh, in Egypt as slaves, as they were getting ready to go into the promised land, we think that Moses wrote down the stories that had been passed down from generation to generation, oral tradition, the stories. Moses pulled them all together. Other people probably helped him. Certainly other people wrote some of it because at the end of Genesis, we're told how Moses died and when he died. Certainly Moses didn't write that part, right? But Moses was telling these people of Israel who were becoming Israel about where they had come from, right? Do you remember ever asking your mom and dad or whoever, where did I come from? Have you ever asked that? Have you been asked that question? Yeah, of course you have. Where did I come from? You ask that question usually because you want to know why you are where you are. <laughs> and that's what was going on with the people. Much of Genesis, especially the first 11 chapters, is what we call prehistory. And here we have to think about history a little bit. What is history? History is a version of the story of what has happened of what we observed, what we have seen, what we have lived through. Well, Genesis tells us about what happened before we were here. <laughs> so in that sense, it's not history. It is theological history. It is faith affirmation, and we'll talk a lot more about what that is. Genesis fundamentally is a revelation of the way everything is meant to be. It's a revelation of the deep truths that are going to inform the rest of the story of God with us. And so, we need to read that story uh, very, very carefully. What I'd like to do, this might seem like a little bit of a waste of time to you, but I assure you it is not. I want to read for you this huge section of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 4. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, that's great, that's fine. But let me ask you to consider simply listening to these words and hearing the words as the first people who heard these words heard the words, not reading them, but simply hearing them. Okay? And I want us to dwell with these words. So forget everything else that's going on right now and just listen to these words. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. 
And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters He called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, and seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then, God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, 
I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thanks be to Jenny. <laughs> All right. I want to ask you a question. It's a simple question. What did you hear? What image, what action, what thought, what feeling came up within you as you listened to this word? God did it all. God did it all. Right? God did it, not us. Not us. Yes. That it was good. That it was good. The creation is a good thing. From the very beginning, that's what God said. Right? There are some philosophies, some theologies, some uh, attitudes about life that say this earth, this physical creation is not so good because there's pain and suffering and destruction and all that other stuff that goes on. And we understand it's there and we'll talk about that. But fundamentally, the creation is a good thing. Thank you. Yes. It is good. Yes. It's good that it's good. Yes. In your study 25 years ago, just looking at the story, you were overwhelmed with all the attributes of God that are dis on display here, that are affirmed here, right? And you've talked about many things, uh, how incredibly powerful God is, powerful beyond any power that we could begin to understand, how incredibly smart God is. Most people, when you ask people about God, God is love. Yeah, he's really smart too. Smart? Yeah, he's really smart, right? He's really competent. Yeah, talk about competence to create everything, right? He made it all so that it works really well, didn't he? Color, imagine, every, everything. Everything works really well. Could you have done a better job? Have you ever wondered why, why God created things the way he created them? Could he have done it differently? You know, science fiction people, you know, uh, think of different worlds, different realities, all those kinds of things. But ultimately, all the things they think about are just variations on the themes of what God already created. It's a fascinating thing. You were, I'll put words in your mouth, in some sense in contemplating deeply this story of creation, you were overwhelmed with God himself. Yeah, and what you've just said was really a litany of praise and worship for God that draws you to God. Don't you want to know this God? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Someone else. That's right. Yes, God gave this to us to protect, to nourish, to care for, to lead, to develop, right? The whole question of, of humanity's dominion over the rest of creation. A lot of people have a problem with that idea because we've messed it up so badly in so many ways. 
right, and say, we're not doing a good job, we should turn it over to somebody else. Or they want to say that we're not anything special in the creation, right? You know, the turtle, the porpoise, whatever, is just as special as we are. And in some sense, I can go with that idea because that also is a creation of God. But it is only about the human creature that God creates, that God says, you're the ones in charge. And it's only the human creature that God creates that God speaks to directly. Says, you're, you're not just good, you're very good. And you are made in my image. Everything else is an expression of God in some sense, but nothing is expressed as the image of God except for us. And so we do have a very high opinion of ourselves. Not because we gave it to us, but because God gave it to us. And in some sense, the rest of the story is about the problem <laughs> that occurs when we have an opinion of ourselves that's so high that we think that we should be God. <laughs> and that comes later on in the story. Do, you, do any of you know that? You know, there's an Adam, Adam and Eve were created and they messed it up. Have you heard that part of the story? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> All right. right? We'll get to that. Yes. He gave us stewardship over the creation to care for it. Uh, I, I'm, you can have lots of conversations about the science of it and the politics of it, but the theology of it is really very simple, and it's right here in the first few sentences of the book that we are meant to care for the creation and to make it flourish, not to waste it, not to abuse it, not to misuse it, but we're meant to care for it. That's simple theology. How we go about doing that and all that, I understand all that stuff, believe me, but, but it's simply there. Someone else, what came out for you? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He did a really good job of creating, didn't he? And he created, yeah, he created everything. He created everything. A couple comments on that, right? What did God take and what did God use in order to create everything? His voice. There was nothing except God before creation. We can't, I can't understand what I just told you. If you think you understand it, you don't understand what I just said. <laughs> There's nothing, we can't conceive of nothing actually, because we are born into something and we are something, but we can at least conceive it in our minds that, that there was a time when there was nothing. Now, some people believe there was always something. That maybe is true. I can't believe it, though, because something has to come from something. We call this creation from nothing. There is nothing except God. And God says, I think I'm going to do this. <laughs> and then God says it. God is so competent, smart, and powerful that all he has to do is speak, and it is so. What an amazing authority that is. God created the stars. There's a very important reason for the story telling us that God created the stars because in ancient times, a lot of people believed that the stars in some sense were representations of God or many gods and that their lives were controlled by the stars. I'm a Libra. What are you? <laughs> No, no, the stars don't control you. God made the stars. They are a part of creation, just like everything else is creation. Part of the story is telling us 
that everything in creation, including us, is subordinate to God. That's part of the problem of our idolatry, is that we put something that is not God in the place of God, usually ourselves or something else. We choose to worship, to follow, to go after something else that is merely, merely another part of creation. Including, I'll just use this as an example, including the monarch, the king, the sovereign Lord, right? We've been hearing a lot about that today. Great, wonderful, fine. I, the monarch who just died understood that she was just another part of creation, merely a part of creation. God bless her for that. Okay, something else. What else pop, popped up, bubbled up inside you? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've raised the question of, of, part of the reason I'm repeating some of what you say is so that it's on the tape for everyone. But you've raised the question of science and faith, right? Which is a huge question for a lot of people. Let me put your, your mind at rest on that. There is no conflict whatsoever between science and faith, as far as I'm concerned because faith talks about something that science cannot talk about. Science talks about the things that are created. Great, I love science, I love scientists. I grew up among some of the world's greatest scientists in the context of, of rocket scientists in New Mexico. And we have amazing scientists in this church. This is not anti-science, it is pro-God. Genesis says several things. Number one, it says God. A lot of people don't believe that there is such a thing as God. Most people through most of history, including today, believe there is such a thing as God. We can talk about that a lot. We have different ideas of what that is, but, but we believe that there is God. Genesis simply presumes that. But it states it from the very beginning that there was something before everything, and that's who God is. We don't understand that because we are not part of that reality. We are, we are a portion of it, but we're not the whole portion of it. So God created. Genesis answers the question of what happened before the Big Bang, right? I love stumping people with this. They say, you know, well, everything was created in the Big Bang. You know, that, that wasn't God. That was just there was this little tiny speck of matter that exploded, and that's where everything comes from. They say, that's not God. That's science. And, and the question that I want to ask is, where did the little speck come from? And why did the little speck do what the little speck did? Did the little speck just decide to do what it did? Again, I've, I've mentioned this to you before, if you've never heard of it, though. Francis Collins, one of the world's uh, most uh, significant living scientists, uh, Francis Collins wrote a book called The Language of God, in which he describes the incredible complexity and fragility of the creation. Things have to be so, so precise in the created world uh, so, that, so that the creation actually can continue to exist and not just explode and implode on itself. Uh, there's a whole lot we can say about that. But Genesis answers where everything comes from, why it's here, and what its purpose is. Science answers the question just of how it works, which is a big question. And I will simply point this out, that science continues to change its mind about how everything works, right? And that's okay. Science continues to learn more and more and more. That's fantastic.
One other word, and then I'll ask, keep, we'll keep answering this question. You mentioned earlier in that long, beautiful description of the character of God, how Genesis tells us that before God created, everything was chaos, right? And God created an orderly universe. There is order to the universe. Now, sometimes there's disorder. Things seem to happen randomly. But what science teaches us is that what appears to be random is not random. It's just something we don't understand yet. Or that in chaos, that the chaos is actually a pattern of things. And the pattern is so big, we can't see the pattern. Therefore, we call it chaos. But fundamentally, Genesis says that the, the creation is created as an orderly creation. And from that affirmation, you have the possibility of creating science. Are any of you here trained professional scientists, per se? Science investigates the way things are, and we learn more and more about why they are. And if we don't understand something, we study it some more, and eventually we come to understand it at a deeper level. And the reason we can do that is because everything operates the same way all the time. If I, if I take something uh, and, and drop it, gravity's going to pull it down. Gravity's always going to do that. It will never fail to do that. If that doesn't happen, then there's something else going on with the business of gravity that I just don't understand yet. If that doesn't happen, if gravity doesn't always act exactly the same way in the same circumstance with the same conditions, then the universe is disorderly and there's no point in studying anything because it is random. Now, ancient people believed, some people still believe, that the universe is controlled by many different gods. And they are unpredictable. They can do whatever they want to do. And the world is unpredictable. Genesis says the world is predictable because it's created with order by an orderly God who wants us to thrive because of that order that's there. If you live with constant unpredictability, you cannot survive. So that's a cool thing that Genesis says. Someone else, someone else, what is it? Yes, 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 God creates time itself. And there was evening and there was morning another day. Of course, some people want to take that incredibly literally, a day like we're thinking about. Genesis doesn't care about that. Uh, I actually think that science is proving more and more just how amazing God is. Because science is, is proving the, the incredible age and complexity of the universe in more and more detail. And that concept of time itself that Einstein started talking about, the fluidity of time and all that. Time is not nearly as simple as we thought it was, <laughs> right? And God created it all. That's who we're studying. That's who we're hearing from. That's who we're trying to learn about and then follow as we're studying this God. And the more you study, the more you open yourself to this truth, the more you learn how big this God is and how you're going to have to live to be 800 million thousand years old before you get it all figured out. And even that won't be enough, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someone else, someone else. What, what rose up out of this? Yes. Yes. Yes, there we go. That's the summary of the whole Bible. If you heard it, let's just go home. We're done. No. <laughs> Thank you, Nina. Yes, God made everything good. It's not so good now. That's why God sent Jesus. Okay? Genesis is the story of God's creation, of his good creation, how we have messed it up, how it's not exactly what God means for it to be, and 
how God is involved in the business of renewing, restoring, redeeming, saving, recreating his creation. That's the whole story of the Bible. And it's also the affirmation that God is going to get it done. This God who was competent enough to create the creation at the beginning is also competent enough to recreate, to save that creation, to redeem that creation. That's the story that's here, and we are involved with that story. Brilliant. Yes, Laura. Yes, God was very intentional. God did not have to create anything. Have you ever thought about that? He didn't have to do that. God was complete and perfect within God's self, we would say, to get away from all the pronouns for a moment, right? God did not need to create. God wanted to create. God wanted all of this to happen. So when we give up on life and say, this is terrible, I wish I'd never been born. No, God wanted this to happen. Very good point. Hannah, you had your hand up. Who created God? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't the foggiest idea. God, God, this is one of those amazing affirmations about God that we must say and that we cannot fully understand. God is the one who always was and always will be. And always will be. Now, there's a lot of modern philosophy that wants to say that we created God or the idea of God because we needed an explanation for everything. Um, I understand that line of thinking, but still, we, we, we have come up with the idea of God, I think, because God put the idea there for us, because God revealed himself to us, because that's the most logical answer to all the questions that we have. That's one of the theories of, of Francis Collins' books, and, and many, many other theologians, many other thinkers, right? When you think about everything that is, the most logical answer, the most reasonable answer, even the most scientific answer to why everything is the way it is, to the, and, and, and is to say there was something, someone, some power, force, energy, intelligence, being. We have to use all of our limited terms to describe something that's unlimited, but there was something that made it all and is underneath it all and above it all and behind it all and in front of it all and in it all. And that is God. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about God. Okay, one more. Yes. Uh, that's a good question. Do people who want creation to be taught in the schools, do they understand what they're asking for? Um, I, think, I think that there is, uh, there is a natural impulse of people of faith to say that you can't talk about anything unless you can talk about God. And we need to teach that in our schools because the schools are trying to teach the truth, right, to our children. Uh, and I understand that. Um, I come the, from the perspective that one of the problems of teaching creation in the schools is that most of the people who want to teach it want to teach an old-fashioned version of creationism that says the universe is 4,000-some-odd years old, and in, four, in six 24-hour days, it all just plunked down, blah, 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 blah. Uh, there's no good reason. In fact, there's a lot of bad reasons to believe that, even theologically. So there's one problem with that. The other problem with that is that I don't trust the schools to teach about God. Who's supposed to teach about God? Who's supposed to teach about God? The parents and the church, right? The parents and the church. 
And so parents and the church, the godparents, the church is the godparents, that's our job to teach that deep fundamental truth. If the schools are trying to teach a different truth, okay, that's the world we live in, but our job is to take our kids to church <laughs> so that they can learn the deep truth behind everything. Right? That, that's my perspective on that. And I, I understand there's a lot of politics. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not dissing anybody, so to speak, uh, but I am lifting up the, the role of the church. And, and, you know, the parents said, well, I've got to, you know, yes, you have to send your kid to school. Yeah, I believe in school. I've, I've been to school way more than I ever wanted to go to school. <laughs> right? Um, that's all great and wonderful and good. But the deepest truth is not going to come from school. It's going to come from the church. That's probably a good way to, I, I hate to end. Couldn't, let's just go till noon. Can we do that? No. <laughs> At any rate, we will be talking a whole lot more about all these topics. Um, I would encourage you, we're going to provide notes for you every week. Uh, and the notes are the basis of everything that we're going to be talking about. Let me encourage you to read through these notes because I'm sure we've probably missed a few little things um, in terms of affirmations and whatnot. We're going to become, that's what we're going to be talking about the, the rest of this year uh, is, is the book of Genesis. So thank you all for being here. Thank you for coming. If you have any questions about anything on the theological side of stuff, I'm happy to hang around and, and talk a little bit. Any other questions about the organization of this gathering and all of that stuff, talk to Terry and all the ladies that are over there. So all is good. Okay, let's thank them. You guys have done a great job of, of putting this all together today. It's wonderful to see all of you. Let's have a quick prayer out of here. God, we thank you that you did make everything. We thank you that you are the one who made everything. We thank you that you have called it good and that you have given us the job of being with you and cooperating with you and being part of that process of, of redeeming your creation. Redeem us, change us, renew us and strengthen us in that image that you made for us so that we can be faithful stewards and managers and lovers of your creation. Be with us as we depart from each other. For Jesus' sake then, amen. God bless you all.